lace-up shoes became a matter of indifference to me. Furthermore, I decided it was high time for some payback. No more taking the long way home in order to avoid the kids at the end of the block, who delighted in ripping up my workbooks. Let them push me down. I was impervious. No more crying in my room and achy half-memories of my mother throughout the night. My dreams became happy ones, where I liquefied enemies with my rage. My enemies were legion. I wasn't going to stop with school bullies and short-changing shopkeepers, though. No, my thinking was much larger than that. It was global. I hadn't yet figured out what form it would take, but my vengeance was going to be absolutely biblical. Luckily, Grandma Rosetta died just then died a hero, actually. She'd never know it, but she saved the world from the havoc I was about to unleash upon it. For I was taken in and raised by her sister Ivy, and along with a hundred other miracles that occurred under the loving guidance of my great-aunt and her husband Woodson, I lost all interest in being a notorious Negro girl sociopath. 1. Chicago, 1968. Just how good was the good life for us over there in Africa? It kind of makes you wonder. Long before there was a south side of Chicago, I mean. Long before the Afro pick or the Negro spiritual or George Wallace. Before the martyred students at the lunch counters and under the quicklime before heroin and tap dancing, before the Harlem Renaissance, and before the nightmare of the real Gone with the Wind. To hear the poets tell it, we were all kings and princes. But I don't think I was. I think I was just an ordinary Joe, make that Jill, as I am a girl. And I was probably just as fucked up and out of it as I am today. But what's the use of that kind of speculation? The point is, they came and got us. Royal lineage or no, it was the cotton patch, the missy's kitchen, and the massa's bed. And so, the slave called Solomon Liesel begat the one called Edmund, who begat Arthur, who begat Harold, and Leland, and, oh, there was an awful lot of that going on over the course of some two hundred years. Ultimately, in the American Belle Epoque, my great-uncle Woody was begat. Most of the Liesel men sired offspring at will. Woody's lovely wife, Ivy, wanted babies so much, she did everything short of visiting a witch doctor. They tried and tried, but she was unable to have children. Be careful what you wish for, the saying goes. They wound up with me. Despite that little joke that fate played on them, they nourished and loved me, and now I'm almost twenty. They even pop for most of my tuition at Deb's College, where I'm an English major, making me the inadvertent token in that august department. Deb's College looks more like an office building than a university. Situated in the middle of the loop, its campus is the whole of downtown Chicago, and for a quad we have the splendor of Grant Park, as commodious a place to sit and think as any that I could imagine. So why in hell am I in the underlit, smoke-laden student hangout bar, whimsically named the Yacht Club, making lists on a paper napkin of the names of Woody's forebearers? I'm half drunk, and I'm stalling.
that's why. I have to go and see a goodly number of the clan at the annual Liesel Family Gala, being held tonight at the Parkway Inn. I'm already forty minutes late. Hard to believe. MLK is eight days dead. And here I am, on a bar stool, trying to recall the names of some distant cousins who live in Joliet. It seems so strange. But then everything has taken on a kind of unreality since they murdered Dr. King. My friend Bobby Vaughn came in and took the stool next to mine. Hey, Cassandra. Hey, I couldn't get a booth, I said. It's packed in here tonight. The yacht club was in fact crowded every Friday evening. In addition to the usual mix of customers, downtown office workers tended to come in on Friday to celebrate week's end with communal pizzas and too much to drink.